there's a war for talent. And if you haven't got the right leaders, you're going to lose that war. But who are the right leaders? Traditional industries are falling like skittles. Can leaders who've been successful in the old world transfer to agile new challenger companies or do new ways of working demand new ways of leading? Welcome to Insight Edge. My name's Kirsten Lees. Today, we talk to Tony Simpson, executive recruitment specialist to a sector that knows more about disruption than most, the global media industry. I have probably interviewed and met with 70% of the world's major media groups, CEOs, CFOs, chief operational officers. And one thing they all have in common is they know the sector and the space deeply. Uh, one thing they don't have in common is that emotional intelligence and the ability to adapt and change. Tony tells us what top media firms, old and new, look for in the next generation of leaders. Note, successful leaders who haven't learnt to fail yet need not apply. And we find out what emerging leaders at the start of their career think about the prospect of working into their 70s or 80s. You're listening to Kirsten Lees, host of Insight Edge, a podcast all about leadership from the Australian Institute of Management. Tony Simpson leads the media practice of the Miles Partnership out of London. Tony recruits leadership talent to many of the world's biggest media organisations. What the industry is learning about leading creative, agile teams, he says, applies to any industry facing disruption. We deal with executive uh, talent, and these are the people who lead and shape and drive these organisations. Interesting enough, they're in de- as in demand with what we call traditional media companies as much as new media companies. Most of our clients are looking for people to help them navigate this new area of content-based uh, product and the skill sets and people needed to do that are in real short supply globally. Coupled with the fact that the innovative entrepreneurial businesses are now becoming quite large themselves. Your Mashables, your Skypes, your Twitters, your Instagrams are now billion dollar businesses and their issue is how do they maintain their id while they get scale and how do you maintain that garage feel when you're sitting in a you know 2,000 seated office. The hard thing they find is to take people from traditional media. You, you cannot just parachute those people into this environment. So there's a real shortage of, of consensual leaders. Uh, and I say consensual leaders in as much that it's people who've got emotional intelligence is, 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 is needed more, I, I think, uh, in, in the new world of media than anything else. And the ability to deal with ambiguity because no one knows what, where the interest is going anyway. So where are these emotionally intelligent consensual leaders? I have probably interviewed and met with 70% of of the world's major media groups, CEOs, CFOs, chief operational officers. And one thing they all have in common is that they they know know the sector and the space deeply. Uh, One thing they don't have in common, and one thing that is, 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 I think, is that people want, is that emotional intelligence and people who have the ability to adapt and change. And so there is, there is no one place where you would get, get these individuals. And actually, age is no barrier to getting these individuals either. So in, some time, in many ways, you'd skip a generation, not because you want to freshen an organisation up, but it's somebody who's got the empathy and the values of the product you're delivering. And by that, if you're vice, which is a, uh, certainly a challenger media organisation, uh, you want your senior management team to reflect and to 
espouse the ethos of the organisation. There's a, there's a war for talent. And if you haven't got the right leaders, you're going to lose that war. And so leadership is really important. Not for the reasons it used to be. It's really important because a transient workplace is not, is not great for a, a business that, or an industry that is at best going through a major transformation. So good leaders are, are in short supply, really. Are there skills from traditional media, which are about quality content, that remain valid and important? Or, or is content now reactive to what customers need? If I understand your question, you're saying what current skills in traditional media will flourish in, the new, in a new environment? Interesting one. Certainly, no, you know, having a great idea is never not going to be the most important thing. The issue is having a great idea and the hoops you have to get through to make sure that idea become, comes on your screen is changing. Because we live in a world of big data, media companies should instantly and will soon instantly be able to calibrate what people want and when they want it. So having a great idea can go literally from a conceptual uh, idea to a program or a film or a radio show in very short order based on knowledge that this is what the audience want based on feedback we can digitally get. The winners are going to all be, I think, are going to be all of those who create, make and deliver programs. The problem is that these very people are usually the worst leaders and the worst managers. So to answer your initial question, where do we get the talent from? The last three global roles we've done have been for people um, who could lead creative and innovative people. And that often comes from the old world of advertising, media world, but also from the, 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 you know, the world of, of music. Or we will look, you know, we, we look at education. We, we've employed people who've run big universities or big educational institutions. Why? Because they intrinsically get what it's like to manage a fluid, uh, young and innovative group of people. How would you describe the, the successful leader of the, the media content industry going forward? Somebody who can listen, adapt and change and more importantly new leaders really are, are there for the benefits of their staff and company rather than the benefits of themselves and somebody who puts that first is really is critical especially in this environment. Is there an organisation that you're aware of that's doing it really well? Um, no, <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Yes. So there are other companies out there who are doing it very well, yes, lots of them, who are demonstrably growing in this space and everyone casts envious eyes at. But I won't mention names, but I've met with quite a few of these organisations who talked about how do we keep our general id and scale up. And they've brought executives in who've either come from broadcasting or from um, other innovative areas who, who when you're dealing with... Um, a, an organisation where the medium age of the staff is 27. Um, it's a very different leadership issue you've got there when you're dealing with millennials. And leadership traits there that these staff, that the staff are looking for there, are, are trust, somebody who will share information, respect, uh, and also what is critical is a leadership team who reflects the people who work there. And diversity is a huge issue um, in media. 
both in terms of gender, in terms of ethnicity, in terms and in terms of uh, of sexuality and as well. A company is at risk if they use an old model media management team to drive them forward. Then a are not going to attract the right staff, and b they're just not going to look and smell right. If media organisations aren't uh, diverse, it'll it'll affect them more in their bottom pocket than any other industry. Without a diverse board, you can't deliver diverse content. If you're not delivering diverse content, you're actually boxing yourself in, and you're not going to be attractive to to the market share that you want. So it's it's critical. In two days last year, I visited two of the biggest media groups. Um, what was stark was the reception. So the first one I went to was a uh, a challenger brand. It had couple of thousand people there in New York. I walked in, there were bicycles in reception. The staff uh, were dressed however they wanted to be comfortable. And uh, it, was, it looked like organized chaos. What was incredible, their um, retention rate was uh, virtually zero, i.e. they virtually never lost anybody in that organization. Everybody was early. Uh, they loved working there. And they were an organization on the front foot. In the afternoon, I visited a behemoth of a media organisation who had palatial offices, building, meeting rooms, etc. Retention rate was horrible. The medium age of the organisation was probably two decades up where they wanted it to be. And the difference was the first company I went to was somebody put its staff first, and that was the difference. The other one was somebody put its shareholders and its, and its position in the market first. And if you were to look at those organisations now, the first one is valued at twice the other one. Actually, it's being innovative enough to look at the future and actually live and breathe and behave like your audience. Do you think that the new challenger organisations will go to the old models of learning leadership to, to, to fill that gap? I think you do have to. I, I do think leadership is intuitive, but also I do think you need to learn. What you're learning is um, to take responsibility and to take that responsibility in a way that, that um, benefits others and, and the company. Um, using a sporting analogy, you know, your, your, your most successful um, athlete is, isn't always going to make the best coach. Just interested in your experience of understanding a media in Australia. Australians are, 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 are traditionally travel very well. In, 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 in the uh, industry, and there are many Australians in senior positions, uh, media organisations. One because of the, you know, I'd say, the glow effect of the Mr. Murdoch's empire, and also because you know they they they've traditionally using what I use as an old model, espouse uh, those values. The issues that I've come across with Australians in in major corporations is one of scale. So uh, whilst People have been exposed to many facets of media because the, the scale hasn't been there. And the scale is not just the scale of the organisations, but it's the scale of dealing with multi-cultural organisations and, and markets within one heading. Actually, you know what the difference between South Africa, Asia, South America and North America is, is night and day. Uh, in terms of how people consume, how they behave, when they watch, how they watch. So. It's adding that value there and then dealing with a workforce who also represents all those interests is quite tough. The other problem that Australians have had in leadership terms is one that I would argue South Africans have as well, is that when they go to West Northern Europe or North America, they're dealing in an environment where people look the same and sound the same 
but they're just not, and they quite quite get it. If we go back to the my point I was making beforehand in, in terms of management style, I think that consensus management and um, dealing with ambiguity is counterintuitive uh, to traditional Australian values. And I don't mean that, you know, because it's a very competitive country. It's a country that it, it likes to be first. But you can't manage uh, a room for, for 2027 year olds who don't give a monkeys about being first. They just want to be fair. They want to make the best creative stuff. And if it takes them a bit longer to do it, that's what they'll do. If you're shouting them, they'll just go home and go and work somewhere else. Those that have been successful yeah. on that, and there are many, not just in media, but in other areas, have been those people who've probably done quite a bit of international work first and foremost, and, 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 and adapted and taken things that they're very good at. But by definition, the fact people have uh, gone into these markets and worked there uh, generally works. But I have to say, you know, the, the, the world's biggest media groups were spawned and come from Australia, so they're clearly doing something right. The trick is actually maintaining that position. You can incubate and set up new, innovative, entrepreneurial businesses, which everyone is doing on the side, but how to bring them back into the fold and keep, as my opening gambit was, and keep that id, keep that essence that made them quite sparky, which is, which is absolutely something that is alien to the, to the group conglomerate culture. Well, there's so much for the other industries to learn, and I'm just listening to you thinking about the financial services industry, mm -hmm. who are also incubating all these challenger models. Fintech is, well, here's the, here's the thing. Everything is blurring. So fintech is, a, if, if you were a private equity company, you would put your media startups into the same basket as fintech and clean energy. All three of them have the same issues and the same problems, and as in they're challenger, they're disruptive, and they require a similar skill set to manage and navigate the world. But where do you get the leaders to run a fintech company or to run a clean energy company? Because you're not going to get to BP to get them. You could do because they know the market, but do, have they got the right mindset? We're, we're trying to find people who are entrepreneurial but are prepared to take risk, and that's what you need to do. You need to, prepare, you need to be prepared to fail. As a, as a leader, if you're not prepared to fail, all you're going to do is manage. And you need to be prepared to fail and take the blame yourself. And that's the critical thing, because that's what a good leader is. And these young millennials and all these young companies are all prepared to fail. I don't think there's any accident that some of the world's best, most innovative com companies are coming out of uh, Silicon Valley and, and Golden Heights in Israel and all these places, because they're entrepreneurial environments where people were, are allowed to fail. And that's where your leaders come from. If you're running a major media conglomerate today and you've been there for over 15 to 20 years, you would not have failed. And therefore, you won't have that spark that will allow you to look at something and think, you know what, we'll go for it and take the risk. So the other issue media has across the world is, you know, a talented leader is a talented leader. For leaders now, the opportunities are a global, uh, and, and B, they are much more innovative. And I also think that people will start having portfolios and careers now as well. So the leaders themselves won't have spent their whole career just in media. They could have gone on to somewhere else. To be a leader can be a career decision more than to be an industry-focused success. I would agree. Yeah. It's always going to be the same thing. It's somebody who's got the visibility for transformation, somebody with good vision, somebody with good leadership, somebody who, who, who's got good insights, but also, more importantly, somebody who touches everybody in the company and can 
walk, walk the floors, etc. Those attributes, whether you're running a railway, an airline, a, a media organisation, will be the same elsewhere. And I'm sure if I wasn't a media specialist and I was working in education or energy, we'd have the same conversation with the same issues, actually, with challenge of brands coming in there. One of the things that's going to be really interesting, going back to recruitment and leadership and people, is I say to every young person, I don't know the demographics of your listeners here in your podcast, but anybody under 30 who's grown up in the Facebook age is at some point is going to get in their career a, a position where they're going to be in a position of leadership. Do not think for one minute that people like me, who are search executives, do not look at Twitter and Facebook and go back for years. So every student, rag part of the route or whatever, will be there. Talking about the under-30s, last week's guest, Linda Gratton, author of The 100-Year Life, set us a challenge. Imagine you're a 20-year-old in Australia right now and looking forward there are a number of trends that are shaping your life. The first one, the longevity one, simply states that every 10 years, life expectancy increases by two years. And that means you're likely to live to 100. Uh, and at the same time, technology is changing in a way that's unpredictable. Unless you're saving, let's say, 25% of your income, then you're really thinking about working into your 60s, 70s, possibly even 80s. We asked four young people what those statistics meant to them. We found them surprised, daunted, but not unprepared. Civil engineer Michael Anson is a project manager on large infrastructure projects. A long working life was news to him, but Michael has a game plan. kind of shocked me that that of uh, our generation living to 100 plus years and, and being in the workforce for so long. And I don't think uh, anyone could really contextualise uh, been in the workforce for 70 years and especially in today's age of businesses how things move so rapidly uh, new businesses coming along old businesses are dying so really it hasn't really played too much into into my plan I guess as long as I get the experience and diversity in the experience the game is really being able to adapt uh, to the changing and evolving business environment. Four years into her career, Ella Stein is taking a multi-skilled approach to her working life already. She combines studies in marketing and accounting and has a two-year cadetship with a global accounting firm already under her belt. I think, I think it's quite daunting when you think about it. I guess technically I'm four years in and there's like 50, at least 50 to go. If you're doing the right thing um, and perhaps um, they say that if you know, we, we're going to switch our careers, you know, X amount of times. And I've already kind of done three switches and it's only been four years. I think that kind of sets you up for so many different different switches that you can do. We hear from other people setting out on their career journey in the next episode of Insight Edge and more from Ella and Michael about what leadership means to them. We'll also talk to Madhav Chinappa, who gives himself the title The technically dumbest guy at Google about how he has made the switch from traditional media to a leadership career with Google. My name's Kirsten Lees. This is Insight Edge, brought to you with the production support of The Naked Coach.
If you've enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe to be the first to listen to future episodes and to catch up on some of the other podcasts we've done, including interviews with Leanne Kemp, startup entrepreneur, Mike Hanley, head of digital from the World Economic Forum, David Hall, Qantas executive and Jetstar CEO, Louise Robinson, CEO of the Nambucca Heads at Local Aboriginal Land Council, Alex Christie from Lendlease, Peter Hall, the founder of Hunter Hall, and Wendy Johnston, Salesforce Vice President of marketing for the Asia Pacific. This has been another episode of Inside Edge with me, Kirsten Lees. You can read more about leadership from the Australian Institute of Management at leadershipmatters.com.au. Let us know what you think by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and leaving us a review or get in touch via email research at aim.com.au. My name's Kirsten Lees.